Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.38 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 28th of September, 2021, and this is episode 484 of Bitcoin. And we've got a word from Steve Barber. Uh, That's at SG Barber says, Every government is bankrupt and can't pay the bills. Rather than just give up ownership of the assets they stole and can no longer afford, governments keep accepting more debt from fiat maximalists in return for doing their bidding. That's a hell of a way to start this one off, isn't isn't it? But he's not wrong at all. Steve's usually pretty much on point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much where we are right now, and it just gets more clownish from here, honestly. Let's uh, look at what's next. Oh, probably nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Before we do that, I guess I should apologize for not coming to you yesterday. That uh, Monday uh, morning show got scuttled because uh, my brother-in-law is in town and he's about 10 feet away on the other side of this wall trying to sleep. And I'm like, look, man, I gave you a break yesterday, but dude, I got, I, I mean, when Greg, when, when fuck you, Greg, gives you shit on Twitter because he was driving to work and he wasn't able to listen to your show. That's when you go, Oh shit. (laughs) People listen to the show. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, probably need to, uh, uh, appease the people that you are actually working for. Right? So sorry about that, Greg. Also, fuck you, Greg Dallas fed president Kaplan to retire early on October the 8th, citing trading disclosure, Distraction. Distraction is in quotes. Yeah, yeah, probably nothing, right? Let's see what this going on here. Jeff Cox has it from CNBC. Dallas Federal Reserve President Robert Kaplan became the second regional central bank leader to resign on Monday, saying he was stepping down early following a recent controversy over stock market trades he made. Um... Should he even be trading the stock market if he's the president of the Federal Reserve, you know, a, a, the branch in Dallas? Is that not a conflict of interest? Is that not something that could be looked upon? I'm, I'm, are you fucking kidding me? You're trading the stock market. I mean, I, I guess I can't, you know. Okay, look, I don't want to be naive here, but come on. You have access to information that nobody else has access to. How is it that every trade is an insider trading when you are the president of a Fed branch and and trading the stock market? You are privy to information almost none of the world has. How is that not insider trading 
how can you prove that all the trades you made had nothing to do with any of the information you know that nobody else has? You can't. This is a solid conflict of interest, guys. Anyway, Kaplan's early retirement follows an announcement earlier in the day from the Boston Fed president, Eric Rosengren, who said he will leave as well, but cited health concerns and not the issue over his investment portfolio activity. Quote, the Federal Reserve is approaching a critical point in our economic recovery as it deliberates the future path of monetary policy. Fuck you. Unfortunately, the recent focus on my financial disclosure risks becoming a a distraction to the Federal Reserve's execution of that vital work, Kaplan said in a statement. His retirement takes effect October the 8th. The resignations come a day before Fed Chair Jerome Powell is to spend two days on Capitol Hill updating legislatures or legislators on the central bank's efforts to combat the economic impact of COVID. Actually, it's not the economic, economic impact of COVID. It's the economic impact of your terrible decision-making in the face of a COVID pandemic. Right. It wasn't COVID. It was your response to it that screwed everything up. Controversy has swirled over the issues after disclosures that Kaplan, in particular, had been executing large dollar trades in big name companies such as you know, Amazon, Apple, Delta Airlines. The Wall Street Journal first reported the trade subsequent to the disclosures. Both Kaplan and Rosengren said that they would be selling their stocks to avoid the appearance of conflict. Selling at an all-time high. Oh, good for you. Questions were raised because the Fed had conducted trillions of dollars in asset purchases aimed at helping making um, helping markets function and has brought, or God, I have some problems today, guys, and has bought corporate bonds from mega cap companies, including Apple. Kaplan insisted he had done nothing wrong. Quote, during my tenure, I had adhered to all Federal Reserve ethical standards and policies (laughs) by securities investing activities and disclosures met bank compliance rules and standards. Still, the issue has reverberated through the Fed with officials pledging to tighten rules so that such potential conflicts don't ever happen again. Quote, we need to make changes and we're going to do that. As a consequence of this, Powell said last week, this will be a thoroughgoing and comprehensive review. We're going to gather all the facts and look at ways to further tighten our rules and standards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, Powell vowed that changes would be made. Quote, I want to be able to look back on this years from now and know that we rose to meet this challenge and handled the situation well and that we did made a lot of sense and protected the public's interest and the institution that we're all a part of, he said. Powell on Monday wished Kaplan well and praised his work at the Dallas Fed. Quote, he has been a passionate and forceful public voice on a wide range of issues, including the critical value of early childhood education and literacy. The chairman said in a statement, whatever, dude. Meredith Black, the first vice president of the Dallas Fed, who herself was planning on retiring, will serve as interim head for the district until a permanent successor is chosen. Okay, yeah, I, I, I don't feel, you know, misled, lied to, uh, raked over the coals, used as, you know, a pawn in the game of somebody else's machinations to get hundreds of millions of dollars for themselves. No, no, I don't feel a part of that at all, do you? Nah, man, if you do, you're, you're, you're against the, 
you're against the, the American people. You're not an American. My God almighty. Shit. Now, in, in the uh, annals of some more jacked up shit, lying to ourselves and trying to make ourselves feel very, very self-important, CBDCs could <clears throat> cut cross-border remittances by half. Or at least the cost, that is. BIS is reporting. Uh, Sato Avendamoyo is writing for Cointelegraph and says, The Bank for International Settlements has published a report touting the benefits of central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, especially in reducing the cost of cross-border payments. Uh, let me pause right here just to say, dude, it is so sad. When you're in high school and you see the latest fashion shit and you go all in on it, do it's like I don't know, I don't know. Like I'm I'm a child of the '80s, so there was a movie called Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and there were three count them three girls at 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 at, at Ridgemont High that dressed like Pat Benatar. And they all did. I mean, it showed a scene of like, you know, all the three dressing like Pat Benatar. And it was like, and they had the Pat Benatar dressing nailed down literally to the floor, dude. They had it done well. And it was just sad because it's like, you don't even have your own style. Jesus Christ, Bank of International Settlements, please. I think that I'm pretty sure that we've got the remittance shit all sewn up. The fact that you are so late to the game again just means you're the little fat kid sitting in the corner with jelly and peanut butter smeared on his face crying because nobody likes him. Sorry, but dude, just, just getting sick, bro. According to the report titled, Inathon Lion Rock to Embridge, whatever, building a multi-CBDC platform for international payments, published on Tuesday, CBDCs can reduce the transaction throughput of cross-border payments from between three to five business days to only a few seconds. The stated claim is part of the conclusions drawn from phase two of project in, what was it, Inthanon? I-N-T-H-A-N-O-N. It sounds like an alien ship technology or something. Inthanon Lion Rock involving the central banks of China, the United Arab Emirates, and Hong Kong Monetary Authority, quote, the prototype demonstrates a substantial increase in cross-border payment transfer speeds from days to seconds, as well as the potential to reduce several of the core cost components of correspondent banking. As stated in the report, a PwC estimate uh, based on the results of the phase two prototype showed a possible 50% reduction in the cost of cross-border payments. Oh, so instead of paying 12% on your remittance, you're only paying six. Go Lord have mercy. The BIS report also stated that the speed and cost benefits of CBDCs can be more significant among jurisdictions where robust correspondent banking relationships are non-existent. With phase two completed, the project now dubbed MCBDC or MCBDC Bridge will move into the third phase, which will involve further pilot studies as well as the creation of a possible roadmap for large scale testing. The MCBDC Bridge project is one of many multi central bank digital currency projects, as the emphasis appears to be shifting towards more collaboration in the area of national digital currencies. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, and South Africa recently announced a joint B, uh, CBDC initiative. These collaborative efforts 
are also being championed by entities like the BIS and the International Monetary Fund as being more advantageous to the current financial landscape, especially amid the growing popularity of cryptocurrencies. Indeed, the BIS has consistently advocated for CBDCs as a countermeasure to the proliferation of crypto and stablecoins and global payments. You're not going to win. You may, you may win a couple of battles, you lost the war because you never set up your defenses fast enough. You were too busy laughing your ass off at us while we were stacking sats. And now here you are late to the party as usual, dressed like Pat Benatar, which hasn't been a thing for fucking 30 years with peanut butter and jelly smeared on your fat face. Sorry, dude. I don't think we want you at the party and they certainly don't want you at the party in Wyoming because they at the University of Wyoming have begun mining Bitcoin. This is CryptosRUs.com written by, I don't know, some guy named Nick. Y'all need to, it's okay. You can use your full name. As China continues to ban Bitcoin, the oldest crypto in the game is finding itself being spun up more and more in the United States as certain politicians like Wyoming's Senator Lummis realize that her state and the country itself can take advantage of this massive movement to become the tip of the spear for Bitcoin adoption. China has basically banned all aspects of crypto, including mining, leading to hash rate making its way to the states at an unprecedented level and now at the University of Wyoming. This week, Senator Lummis took to Twitter to announce that the university is now mining Bitcoin. Lummis had been lobbying miners since the Chinese exodus began, and in early July, she tweeted, If you were in the Bitcoin mining space, please reach out. We want you in Wyoming. Lummis has also dispelled the FUD around Bitcoin mining and ESG, telling CNBC, There was research at the University of Cambridge that showed Bitcoin mining consumes roughly 40% renewable energy. It is, of course, well known that hydropower plants were very dominant in Chinese mining, and the energy consumption argument has been greatly overstated. <clears throat> Wyoming, next to Florida, is certainly the most pro-Bitcoin state in terms of legislation. Just this week, a bill was signed to exempt <clears throat> Bitcoin mining using natural gas flaring from taxation. Bitcoin will be recycling wasted energy that would normally be considered pollution. House Bill 189 provides an opportunity for oil producers to utilize natural gas that would normally be flared into the atmosphere for other productive purposes, including cryptocurrency mining. Miners are already setting up shop at the University of Wyoming. According to Caitlin Long, who was working with the university, displayed the progress on Twitter. The mining rigs were apparently donated to the university and the mining will begin soon. Hmm, nice. BTC Impact, a Bitcoin nonprofit, appears to be facilitating the Wyoming project. They have set up a mining club at the university, helping to train students in the skills of Bitcoin mining operations. Jesus, how do I take that class? This is a groundbreaking moment in history. As a major university in the United States is actually setting up mining rigs and teaching students and faculty how to mine Bitcoin. Jesus Christ, I cannot tell you how important this actually is. If you're sitting there going, I don't know why this is important. Trust me, this shit's important institutions in the United States. And one of these days I'm going to get my wife on this show and I'm going to interview her about her shit at a university and what academia actually looks like versus what it actually is. You know, what it, we actually thought it was supposed to be. 
No, it's turned into a, oh God, it's just turned into like a nuclear disaster. So when I see a university that's steeped in the academic traditions going after Bitcoin mining and teaching faculty, staff, and students how to do Bitcoin mining, that means that at least one university smells it in the air and they smell a way out and they are going to exit. They are going to figure out a way to fix their little red wagon. They're going to figure out a way to fund themselves so that they don't <clears throat> have to get their students strung on student loans. And no, that's not what my, what my wife's issue is. My wife was a professor at a university and basically said, fuck this, because it's so bad. Even at little podunk you know, universities, because there's big universities and there's small universities. She was at a smaller one, and it's even worse at the smaller ones. You would think it was really bad at the bigger ones, but no, 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 no. When I see shit like University of Wyoming starting to mine and teach their students and faculty how to mine, that means they are spinning up something big and they are spinning up something for the future. These guys get it. Let's see what happens. Wyoming is the leading <clears throat> or is leading the charge for making Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain a big part of our education system as the power of this technology has the chance to radically improve the economic systems that have been plagued by special interests and corruption. And that is why people are so enthralled with Bitcoin and crypto. Wyoming is making it clear. Crypto is more than a speculative asset. It's a foundation for improving society. And that starts with education. Okay. That's the end of the, the, the article. And you'd say what you want about, about not Cynthia, about uh, Caitlin Long. I don't like the shit coining. I really, really don't. But I got to say, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bitch her out about, you know, helping, lending a helping hand with the University of Wyoming and what they're doing out there. It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens to the University of Wyoming as they build up their own Bitcoin reserves with their own mining rigs using oil and gas. And if you guys want to, if anybody's listening and they want to lend a hand, I don't know, call Caitlin Long and Senator Lummis and, or the University of Wyoming and, uh, you know, figure it out, figure out how you can lend a hand because this is going to be great. What's not great is going to prison for 6.5 years ETH developer pleads guilty for conspiracy to violate sanctions laws. Sam Borgi has it for Cointelegraph. Ethereum developer Virgil Griffith has pleaded guilty to a federal charge that he conspired with North Korea to violate United States sanctions law. On Monday, he pleaded guilty in New York to conspiring to violate the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, which forbids U.S. citizens from exporting technology and intellectual property to communist countries. As part of the plea deal, Griffith could face up to six and a half years in prison. Formal sentencing is expected to commence in January of 2022. Virgil, who served as senior researcher for the Ethereum Foundation, was arrested in November of 2019 after attending a conference in the North Korean capital of Pyongyang earlier this year. Or earlier in that year, <clears throat> prosecutors alleged that the developer gave a presentation on how to launder money and evade sanctions using blockchain technology. 
Griffith's plea deal came as a jury selection was set to begin in New York. As the Wall Street Journal reported, the trial was likely to touch on complex matters involving questions of free speech and North Korea's relations to the United States. Journalist Ethan Liu, who claims to have been in North Korea with Griffith when he gave the presentation, said it's unclear what sparked the developer's guilty plea. He explained, quote, unclear that what new development caused this guilty plea. The paperwork was signed only yesterday. One possible reason is the barring of the remote testimony of an Ethereum Foundation lawyer. As Cointelegraph reported, Griffith's legal team attempted to dismiss the charges in October of 2020, but the arguments put forward were firmly rejected by prosecutors. At the time, lawyers representing the United States government called the arguments, I don't know, unavailing. Maybe you should just not go and, you know, to North Korea. I don't even know. I mean, what I see. Okay, look, I have like no compunction to go to China. I sure as shit don't want to go to North Korea. Why would you go? Hey, what? Like, honestly, what is it about North Korea that has like, that holds any, you know, any reason? It's not like going to Disney World. It's like going to a bombed out, you know, like nuclear fallout shelter. They can't even keep the lights on at night. Why would you go? I don't know. But this guy went and now he got his ass handed to him. So I don't, you know, I don't like it. But dude, if you're going to be that blatant, I just, I don't know. I kind of don't have a whole lot of sympathy left, especially considering it's Ethereum. And I really don't have any sympathy here. Coinbase launches Get Paid in Crypto Direct Deposits by Jeff John Roberts, writing for Decrypt.co. Before I even begin, let's go back to Augustus or Augustine Karstens, who's the little fat kid who's trying to keep up with the rest of the world and ends up being late to everything. Coinbase, I think you're a little late. However, because Coinbase is Coinbase, They'll probably do well with it, but <clears throat> I'm actually putting it out into the street. Use any other service. If you got to get paid in Bitcoin, please, for the love of God, use anything else. Anybody else that you can find. Don't use Coinbase. Coinbase is evil. Let's get into it. Once you receive your paycheck in your paycheck in crypto until now that option has been available only to a relative handful of people such as celebrity athletes or employers at cryptocurrency companies but soon that's about to change on monday coinbase announced get paid in crypto a new service that will let nearly anyone in the united states who gets paid by direct deposit receive all or part of their wages in bitcoin ethereum and other shit coins Coinbase is billing the service as the future of payroll (laughs) and in a blog post explains how exactly this will work. Quote, you can set up direct deposit in just a few steps without leaving the Coinbase app. Find your current payroll company or employer and we'll automatically update your paycheck allocation. If you'd prefer to set up direct deposit manually, we'll provide instructions on what to share with your HR department or employer payroll website. End quote. The blog also noted that those who signed up for direct deposit can receive their wages into their Coinbase account in either dollars or shitcoins. 
Both options are free. There is no service fee, not yet, though Coinbase will earn a small profit in the form of a spread for those who choose to be paid directly in shitcoins. The new direct deposit option is a significant development for the crypto industry since Coinbase has tens of millions of U.S. customers. If even a small percentage of them sign up, it could increase the overall demand for Bitcoin and other digital assets. Coinbase's direct deposit offering follows a nascent push by 401k providers to let employees put crypto into their retirement accounts, uh, reflecting how crypto is becoming increasingly mainstream in the broader American workforce. For Coinbase, the direct deposit feature, which will go live in the next few weeks, is part of a larger initiative to push into conventional banking by means of its Coinbase card uh, debit card service. First announced last year, the Coinbase card is connected to the Visa network and lets users shop just as they would anywhere else though with the difference that the purchase is funded by cryptocurrencies. The value of such crypto debit cards is debatable. However, given that crypto purchases tax uh, trigger tax headaches, and in the case of the Coinbase card, come with a 2.75% transaction fee. Coinbase has acknowledged this friction, although, uh, and uh, offered a reward system that pays 1% in Bitcoin on every purchase of up to 4% back in some other cryptocurrencies. Do just use the Fold card. Honestly, and if you need to get paid in Bitcoin, please just, I don't know, use Strike. I know everybody's pissed off at Strike right now. I get it. Honestly, what did you think was going to happen? Of course, Jack Mallers is going to figure out a niche. And his niche was to use the Bitcoin and Lightning Network rails, but the language spoken is fiat. It was going to happen. Somebody was going to do it. It might as well be somebody who I think is at least, you know, remotely ethical, right? If you're going to get paid and if you're going to get paid in Bitcoin, go hit up Jack Mallers and strike. And if you need to get paid back on, on purchases, don't use Coinbase card, use fold app, use the fold card, F O L D underscore A P P I believe is what they are on Twitter. You don't need Coinbase. And if you have any, you know, self-respect about you, you won't be using Coinbase. Please just stop. All right. <clears throat> Let's see. Why did, why did Bitfinex pay $27 million in transaction fees for an Ethereum transaction? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Ronaldo Marquez will tell us more from Bitcoinist.com. In just another Monday on crypto, users reported that Bitfinex paid a single miner the astonishing sum of $23 million to validate an Ethereum transaction in what could potentially be the largest fee an ETH miner has ever received to validate a block. The reasons behind it remain as pure speculation. The crypto exchange sent $100,000 in its stablecoin tether. Therefore, the community believes someone at Bitfinex made a very costly mistake. As seen below, the transaction was included at the height of block 13307440. Uh, with 898 confirmations at the time of writing, the fee amounts to 7,676.6 in Ethereum. Pseudonym trader Haska tracked down the transactions associated with the miner and believes the person must be unaware of the potential mistake that worked in his favor. And the trader said, quote, the miner that mined the 23 million fee block seems to be continuing with his periodic transferring to Binance. 
doubt he's even aware of this yet, would not discount him returning a portion of the fees, assuming he's alerted to the events that have transpired. At the time of writing, Bitfinex has not issued a statement or comment regarding the transaction fee. However, via their Twitter handle, the exchange retweeted a statement made by decentralized exchange Diversify. The DEX was one of the entities that were involved in the Ethereum transaction. They claimed that a hardware wallet from their main user interface recorded an erroneously high gas fee. Diversify added, quote, Diversify is currently investigating the cause to determine how this occurred and will keep you updated. No customer funds on Diversify are at risk, and this is an internal issue for Diversify, Diversify to resolve. Operations are unaffected. According to their website, Diversify uh, is a platform that facilitates DeFi access for its users via their interface. Users can invest, trade, and send transactions without paying gas fees, unless it's this one, I guess. The platform <clears throat> has a set of tools that are allegedly designed to improve the DeFi experience. <laughs> like what? A new way to farm, farm yielding like papayas or something? I don't know. If you don't get that joke, then you haven't been in long enough. Anyway, you can also earn interest and have access to other services. Their website also reveals that Diversify has a partnership with Bitfinex, Ledger, DeFinance, Capital, Consensus, and others. More could be revealed in a future report. In the meantime, any scenario seems possible, even a potential security exploit. Over the past month, the Ethereum network records over one, ooh, good God, over $1 billion in total revenue or around 58x the total revenue of Bitcoin. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Non-fungible tokens. Minting and trading is still one of the most profitable use cases on Ethereum. And on many occasions, the NFT mania has led to an increase in transaction fees and congestion on the network. At the time of writing, ETH trades at... Why are you even doing that? Is that... that Okay, somehow or another, they went into an ETH fest there at the end, and I'm not going to finish it because it's not worth my time. ETH is just crap, and it causes shit like this to happen. However, you do got to ask yourself, is that... I mean, this has to be a mistake, right? And I haven't heard anything about it since. There's no update to this particular uh, uh, news story, so I don't know if if they gave the the money back. If it wasn't a mistake, is it money laundering? I don't know. I guess we'll find out on the other side because it's time to run the numbers. CNBC.com, futures and commodities. Holy shit. Flammable liquids are on fire. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, up 0.89% to $76.12. Brent North Sea, up 0.6% to $80 a barrel. But that's not the real story, is it? No, sir. Natural gas is up 8% today to $6.16 per thousand cubic feet. And we're going to just kind of pause right there. Well, let's do gas. It's actually down a little bit. $2.22 per gallon of gas as far as gasoline futures are concerned. Let's get back to natural gas. I have been seeing this chart uh, and I, I would have been able to talk about it more yesterday if I had done the show because yesterday shit went, f you know, nuts 
on natural gas and it's going nuts again today on the futures market at I've never seen gas prices this high. And in fact, let's see if I can do it real quick. Is there any possible way that I can get all the data? No, gas prices in 2000 and let's see, the peak was June 2006 and uh, natural gas was hitting $13.65 per thousand cubic feet. Another peak was at 2008, that would be March, $14.13. And then back in the, go back in the Wayback Machine to September of 2000, we were at $11.93. So we're not all that bad right now, but for the past, I mean, since 2009, gas price, you know, natural gas prices have been pretty, you know, pretty stable and low. Not so this time, and we're coming into winter, right? So, oh, wait a minute, hold on here, hold on. I'm just seeing something, I'm seeing something. It, I don't know, it looks like we might've, looks like we might've dropped a little bit. I don't know, there may be some, I'm looking at the, at the uh, chart and it looks like there's this weird spike that went all the way up to, yeah, $6.16 and now it's back down to $5.80. Still though, gas prices are weird. We're coming into winter and Europe is having a crisis already of energy. And if Putin puts the squeeze on natural gas from his end, uh, we, could, we could see a situation where Europe freezes in the dark this winter. And I was talking to my brother-in-law about that. His, his immediate reaction is like, shit, that's World War III. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of can't discount that. I honestly can't. If Putin, who has his fingers on a shit ton of natural gas flowing into Europe, uh, puts the squeeze on Europe, and he's done it before, um, this this could be bad. So pray for a mild winter, y'all. Uh, real money is at $41,788, with uh, 267,000 transactions being performed in the last 24 hours. That is about 11,000 transactions on average per hour. You know what I didn't do? I didn't finish off the other stuff. I don't know. Let's see if there's anything important going on. Hold on. Lo and behold, there is. <coughs> Natural or uh, <clears throat> shiny metal rocks are having a hell of a day and not a good day. Gold is down over a full point to $1,731. Silver is down two and a quarter to $22.18. Platinum is off by one and a quarter. Copper is off by one and a quarter. And palladium getting nailed to the wall down 2.19%. Agricultural futures are mixed, but I don't see anything jumping out at me. So we'll pass that. Get into indices. The Dow futures is down a third. S&P futures is down three quarters. The NASDAQ futures are down one and a half percent. And the S&P mini is also down a third. Holy smokes, now we'll get into real money. <clears throat> 1.3 million BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. That's 55,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average with an average transaction value of five BTC, a median transaction value of 0 0.018 BTC or about 750 bucks. Block times are low, again, eight minutes and 44 seconds with 0.07 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 
and 12.9 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have damn near an 11.5% jump in hash rate, bringing us to 144.5 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, chilling out at exactly 0.2 US dollars or 20 cents. Yes, and I know people were buying Doge at 63 cents. That was the the night, I think that was the day before, that was the Friday before Saturday Night Live that Elon Musk went on and everything tanked. So uh, for all of you guys that call this toxic Bitcoin maximalist, you might have wanted to listen to us. 1,800 transactions waiting on one block to clear. Market capitalization of Bitcoin is $789.3 billion, but we only have six and a, well, actually almost 7% of gold's entire market cap. If you want, you can use your one Bitcoin to buy 24.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks, but eh, I wouldn't do it if I were you. 18,828,497.75 BTC are in circulation at this time. Almost 3,000, good God, 2,940 BTC of those in circulation are locked in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of $123.2 million being run over 15,620 nodes and 72,571 payment channels. 73.3% of the entirety of the Lightning Network is being run over Tor. That's 2,154.11 BTC in the Tor side of the net, of the net, uh, Lightning Network and being run over 10,216 Tor nodes that we know about, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. And in the annals of probably nothing, Turner Wright tells us that Morgan Stanley has doubled their exposure to Bitcoin through grayscale shares, Cointelegraph. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Probably nothing. Major U.S. investment bank Morgan Stanley has more than doubled its shares of grayscale trust uh, through April or since April. According to a report from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, filed on September the 27th, the Morgan Stanley Europe Opportunity Fund, which invests in established and emerging companies throughout Europe, owned 58,000 shares of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, or GBTC, as of July 31st. At the time of publication, the price of GBTC is $34.28, making the investment bank's exposure to Bitcoin roughly $2 million. Morgan Stanley reported that the shares cost $2.4 million. Previous filings showed that Morgan Stanley has increased its shares of GBTC by more than 105% since April. Cointelegraph reported in June that the investment bank held 28,298 GBTC, worth roughly at the time $1.3 million. Morgan Stanley has been gaining more exposure to BTC in 2021. The firm's European Opportunity Fund aims at maximum capital appreciation by investing in high-quality and established and emerging Europe-based companies that the team considers undervalued at the time of the purchase. In April, the investment bank announced that it would be adding Bitcoin exposure to 12 investment funds through Grayscale and Cash Settle Futures. The bank later, later led a $48 million funding round for Securitize, a Coinbase-backed tokenization platform. The action represented Morgan Stanley's first capital investment foray into blockchain. 
ARK Invest under CEO Kathy Wood also has a significant investment in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. In July, the firm reported it had purchased more than 450,000 GBTC, GBTC shares in two separate buys. And at the time of publication, ARK Invest and its institutional funds hold more than 8.3 million GBTC shares, making its holdings roughly 0.69% of its portfolio. So Morgan Stanley doubling down, but only to the tune of $2 million. Uh, yeah. Okay, it's probably nothing, but it's also probably nothing. I mean, come on. It's like, which way do you want to go? You're buying Bitcoin, you're doubling your stake, but you're really only at $2 million and still using GBTC? Well, I guess you're precluded from buying the actual underlying asset, so you have to. But still, guys, come on, man. That's just like a, that's like a buy for ants. So what's going on there? Anyway... <clears throat> the Bitcoin price will rise with more education. Now, remember, we were talking about that whole Wyoming University thing. Yeah, education is going to be big. It's going to be huge. I've said it before, but it's going to really ramp up quick, I think, uh, here in the next few months. And, and it's not going to go anywhere for the next few years minimum. Bitcoin Magazine's Joe Malik has this one. If you're reading this article on Bitcoin Magazine, then it's likely you and I have a lot in common. Clearly, we've both fallen down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So see if this sounds like you. Heading to the gym? I'll listen to Guy Swan narr narrate an article, then get pumped about it after. It's amazing the energy that he brings to his podcast all alone at midnight. Got a bunch of monotonous tasks at work to do? I think I'll listen to John Vallis talk about psychedelics, fighting, and philosophy, or maybe... I'm driving to a golf course that's 30 minutes away. Perfect. I'll start a Breed Love podcast and finish it on my way back. I hope Michael Saylor is on. I love when he tells me how Bitcoin obeys the laws of thermodynamics and is the most efficient battery ever created. Oh, and my girlfriend wants to go out with some friends on Friday night. I already downloaded Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard and plan to listen to the audiobook on the balcony with a glass of bourbon in hand. Does this sound like you? Then you get it. There is an endless amount of intellectual stimulation in the Bitcoin rabbit hole and financial gains too. That's what brought most of us here in the first place, right? Be honest. So the title of the article is number go up, number go up. <clears throat> yes, Bitcoin's number goes up, but that's not what I'm talking about. This is a chance to reflect. How many people have you orange pilled? Has your number gone up? Here's why I ask. As an avid Bitcoiner, I think about Bitcoin, sound money, global economics, etc. nonstop. And for four years, I have also bought Bitcoin nonstop. And a week ago, I re reallocated to a tax-friendly jurisdiction, and I'll be leaving my fiat job at the end of the year. The plan is to travel with my girlfriend and work on my golf game to become a scratch golfer. I'm also thinking about writing a short book to encourage hardworking people who are stuck on the fiat hamster wheel to discover Bitcoin and start saving with sound money. But why would someone read my book? I'm not famous and no one knows who I am. Do people under 30 even read books? I've tried hard for the past four years to convert cousins, uncles, friends, even the CFO of the company where I work to put Bitcoin on their collective balance sheets. But I've had limited success. My number was not going up. That is until recently. Now I've actually been orange pilling total strangers. And here's how it typically goes. When I'm out playing golf, it's around the second hole that people ask the usual questions. What do you do? Where do you live? My answer is that I just moved to Tennessee, but no, it's not for work. It's for the favorable taxes. 
Then they ask what I do, and I tell them I'm leaving my job, but that I'm a Bitcoiner. The quick ones ask with a smirk if I'm retiring and how old I am. I respond, I'm 29, and no, I'm just reallocating my time. I can see their eyes light up, and now they know a guy who thinks, or thanks to Bitcoin, no longer needs to work. By the back nine, I tell them about the Fold app and debit card and how it's a great way to start accumulating Bitcoin for the everyday items that you purchase. No, Fold doesn't sponsor me, I wish, but it's the best way I've found to bring the horse to water and based on the re recent signups the horses are drinking, my goal is to bring people into contact with Bitcoin. From there, those who are intellectually curious will hopefully fall down the rabbit hole and find what we've all found. So what have we found? I've found that Bitcoin brings me hope, freedom and sovereignty in a world where governments forced small businesses to close, a world of taxes, the worst of which is inflation, a world of inefficient governments that will never balance their budgets, insufficient wages, fires in the West, floods in the South, and the list goes on forever. With Bitcoin, I have hope for a future where people can contribute value and save with money that efficiently stores that value over their life and for further generations. With Bitcoin, people who are fleeing from fires in California or from the Taliban in Afghanistan or from the overly restrictive Australian government can all have freedom because they can take their wealth with them wherever they go. <clears throat> with Bitcoin, I possess supreme power over my life. I am a sovereign individual. Yes, the sovereign individual is a must-read book every day. I can follow the path that makes me most happy, and when I die, I will have lived intentionally and with purpose. But this moment in Bitcoin's history is unique, and it will be fleeting. What am I talking about? The year is 2021, and you can still buy Bitcoin with fiat money. I doubt that will be the case for much longer. I believe Bitcoin will become the global reserve currency, and right now it's cheap. People can literally change the course of their lives by buying Bitcoin. It happened to me. In the not-so-distant future, maybe 10 to 20 years from now, Bitcoin will be worth the equivalent of $10 million, but you won't be able to buy it with fiat money. No one will give you Bitcoin in exchange for dollars. Why? Because the marginal cost to print another dollar is zero. Therefore, it has no value at that time. The only way to acquire Bitcoin will be to produce a good or service that others find valuable and are willing to pay for with Bitcoin. My hope is to help as many people as possible see the opportunity that Bitcoin presents right now. Maybe I'll write that book and get lots of people to read it, but if this article helps my fellow Bitcoiners introduce more friends and strangers to Bitcoin, then I'll be very happy with that outcome too. So thank you, Joe Malik, for that one. That's actually kind of an interesting, an interesting look into you know, orange peeling people on the golf course. And you can do that anywhere, maybe at the gym or, or whatnot like that. But how, how we approach that, you know, that conversation is, is changing drastically. Um, I don't get the kind of looks that I used to get when I would mention Bitcoin. And the reason is, is, well, more people have been exposed to it. You know, it's, it's, it's not, Something, it's become something that people hear about almost every day on the news. And if you're watching CNBC, you're hearing about it every day at least once. Somebody somewhere will mention something about Bitcoin. And sad as it is that the fact that they're mentioning Bitcoin on something like CNBC lends legitimacy. No, it's not true legitimacy. You and I both know that the mainstream media is just a bunch of sock puppets. And at this point, 
the veil is is basically being taken off and we're seeing the mainstream media for what it really is, which is just a bunch of uneducated hacks who are getting paid a lot of money because they were able to stuff their ethics into a brown paper bag, light it on fire and throw it out the fucking window. All right. But the truth remains. Most of the people in the world are not yet ready to be unplugged from the machine and they will fight to defend it. So when that machine tells them Bitcoin and says Bitcoin at least every day, they end up getting desensitized to it. So they've paved the way for me to be able to talk to somebody more coherently and cogently and for a longer period of time about what Bitcoin is than what I had experienced just three years ago. So think about that. Let's use what's going on with the mainstream media. Use the fact that they have no problem burning their principles down and use that to our advantage because we're going to need, we should take every advantage that we are offered, right? It does not make you unethical when you're doing it. It, it. It doesn't. If the goal is to get as many people into the boat as possible, then it you do whatever it takes. And if I've got to leverage a bunch of unethical bastards like mainstream media to do it, so be it. I do not give a shit. Now, this is going to be a little bit of hyperbole. I don't buy it in the least, but let's see what Peter Chihuahua has to say from Bitcoin Magazine. New Twitter integration will drive the Bitcoin price above $300,000. Okay, Peter I'm just going to like class this as hyperbole because how many, I mean, honestly, how many fucking times do we have to hear it's going to 500,000? It's going to 300,000. Yeah, well, get there, bitch. Hell, I, just, I keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's like it's just bouncing around between 40,000 and 50,000. And it just doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be moving. You know, I heard yesterday. <clears throat> that there were some institutional folks that said that they can't lay their hands on a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin without you know, messing up the price. So that's why they're not buying Bitcoin, which is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm like, well then just DCA at a million dollars a day. Nobody will see it. At least I, I, I doubt anybody would see it and start stacking sats. You're literally gonna sit on, you want to put a billion dollars into Bitcoin, but you won't do it because you don't wanna move the price. This is the lunacy that we deal with all the time. Anyway, let's get into the hyperbole here. And I like Peter, but I still think this is hyperbole. <clears throat> Jack Dorsey's social media platform, Twitter, has officially enabled third-party Bitcoin tipping services for iOS users. No, some users. Some. I don't have it enabled. I'm on iOS. Nobody can tip me through Twitter. So, no, it's not users of iOS. It's a very few select users on iOS. Let's be clear about that shit. As demonstrated by Lightning Network platform Strike in a recent video, Twitter is now one of the world's most effective platforms for the transmission of value. Quote, starting today, Twitter will allow all iOS users around the globe to send tips over the Lightning Network, Strike CEO Jack Mallers wrote in a blog post. Twitter's integration with the Strike API turns Twitter into one of the best remittance experiences in the world, one of the greatest global creator marketplaces in the world, one of the greatest global payment experiences in the world, one of the best global micropayment marketplaces in the world and allows an internet communications company to interoperate with a monetary standard for the world, enabling global payments for their users. 
In a press call, Twitter also announced that the feature would be coming to Android users soon. As Mallers indicated, it is difficult to overstate the potential of Lightning Network integration with a widespread internet communications tool, as demonstrated by Bitcoin's ongoing sub, uh, supplantment of Western Union and MoneyGram in El Salvador, which has already seen the permissionless monetary network cut into those third-party revenue streams by an estimated $400 million per year. The appetite for more efficient global digital payment systems is huge. Yeah, just ask Augustin Karstens. He's over in the corner in his fat little face crying into his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. As users begin exchanging value with minimal fees nearly instantaneously across borders without censorship through the Lightning Network on Twitter, how long will it be before more people realize that Bitcoin is the best monetary network for the internet? How long will it be until other digital platforms integrate this money directly into their tools as Twitter has begun to? How long will it be until Bitcoin replaces the outdated systems that currently denom or dominate remittances, influencer marketing, and eventually digital payments as a whole? From a certain perspective, it all seems inevitable. If Bitcoin's market capitalization consisted solely on the $700 billion global remittance industry, the $13.8 billion influencer marketing industry, and the $5.44 trillion global digital payment market through applications like Twitter's tipping services, each Bitcoin in existence would be worth approximately $326,897. That's a hell of a calculation. As Twitter users are now finding out, Bitcoin is a better tool than the dollar for all of these industries and others. And it's hard to say exactly what the Bitcoin price will be as its technology consumes virtually every form of value transaction that we know of today. But the number will most certainly go up. Yeah, NGU Tech, bro. El Presidente buys the dip. Should we celebrate governments acquiring Bitcoin? I don't know. Let's find out from BTC Times's Yosef Tetik. Naib Bukele sure ain't your average politician. The president of El Salvador, when confronted with the accusation of becoming a dictator, changed his Twitter bio to Dictador de El Salvador, or Dictator of El Salvador, <clears throat> and later spiced it up to El Dictador Más Cool del Mundo Mundial the coolest dictator in the world. In doing so, he turned a serious accusation into a meme. One of us, one of us, one of us. Bukele is able to leverage the disintermediating qualities of modern media to the fullest. His intention to make Bitcoin the El Salvador's legal tender was first announced through Jack Maller's live stream talk at Bitcoin 2021, uh, making an instant connection between himself and hardcore Bitcoiners. To reinforce the position, he later joined Nick Carter's Twitter spaces to live stream the passing of the Bitcoin bill in Parliament and nonchalantly coining the volcano mining meme during the live chat as well, giving presidential advice to buy the dip, taunting the IMF and pulling the mammoth feat of deploying the Chivo wallet and hundreds of Bitcoin ATMs in such a short time frame. It truly is tempting to become infatuated with someone so fresh and seemingly on our side. But this is still politics we're talking about. Bukele is buying the dip with taxpayers' money. How will the public react to a prolonged bear market? And who holds the keys anyway? What's going to happen to the nation's Bitcoin when the political tides shift? 
The last question might be sadly rhetorical. As Alex Gladstein of Human Rights Foundations explains in a must-read article on the Salvadoran political context, there might not be any change of guard for a long time. Bukele seems to be consolidating power at an alarming pace, using the same agility and leveraging his massive short-term popularity as he displays in his Twitter gimmicks. As students of history, we are well aware a charismatic leader consolidating power is bad news when the honeymoon period ends and the first crisis strikes. But let's zoom out from El Salvador's president and consider the broad problem of governments acquiring Bitcoin. This development, previously considered a Bitcoiner's wild dream, is becoming a reality, and next to El Salvador, Iran's central bank is already stacking, while Laos, Paraguay, and Ukraine seem to consider doing so in the near future. This opens up the question of whether such top-down Bitcoin adoption actually benefits the country's population rather than its ruling class. The main advantage of governments leading the way on Bitcoinization is the shift in public perception. The general public uh, still considers the state a legitimate organization and adding weird magical internet money onto the balance sheet of a state institution would work wonders in terms of Bitcoin's perceived legitimacy. Moreover, doing so would require regulation that isn't openly hostile to Bitcoin and thus could pave the way for private institutions having a legal treasury reserve policy involving Bitcoin as well. Another positive impact might be brought about by the government actively incentivizing foreign Bitcoin-centered investments and residency, e.g. through elimination of capital gains taxes. A small third world country previously cut off from the global financial system may thus become a new Switzerland of sorts, if such policy is understood as being trustworthy in the long term. For many developing countries, legal tender legislation coupled with a national hodling strategy might be their way out of the IMF World Bank serfdom and the damaging consequences of being on the receiving end of foreign monetary policy, as is the case with dollarization. However, all of these possible points in favor might be outweighed by negative consequences. First of all, the state is generally a very bad steward of all financial matters. Almost every government on earth is up to its ears in debt, however large their tax base. The Leviathan is an ever-hungry beast that not even Bitcoin will satisfy. It could be the case that the national hodling policy would only stir its hunger for more and motivate ah, confiscations of privately held Bitcoin. Second, the risk and lure of embezzlement, hacks, and other forms of boat accidents would be enormous. Quote, whoever holds the keys holds the Bitcoin takes a new level of meaning in such a context. Countries could go bankrupt via simple key mismanagement, and corruption would reach staggering levels. Civil wars could be sparked by national treasuries lost overnight. Bitcoin and the state are polar opposites. The only role the government should play in Bitcoin adoption is stepping aside and letting the people adopt Bitcoin on their own terms. The proactive stance of Bukele's government may reap short-term benefits outweighed by long-term risks. Let's hope the world's coolest dictator has some wise advisors proficient in economic history to help him understand how to do more good than harm. Mr. Bukele, tear down the buy wall and let people buy the dip. Well, I think, I don't know, I don't know. It's a, it's a rock and a hard place for us. It really is. There's no way out. Uh, there's just no way out of not understanding that Bukele is a dictator. How will it go? I don't know. It's, it's bizarre to watch. 
but you know somebody who who knows how to, his Twitter game is on fucking fire, and that is rather concerning because that's just another part of being popular, and being popular and consolidating power, as Yosef says, is not a good sign, and especially when the first crisis hits, could turn into a very lethal combination. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else that needs to go on here? Uh, let's see. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, We're good. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Terrible joke corner brought to you by Amanda Softstar. That's right. Uh, Actually, I can't remember who sent me this. Uh, I got. I got to give. I got to give him a give him a hat tip here, uh, and I'm not going to be able to do it. Or and no, it's Randy McMillan. Yep. God dang, he's such a good guy. At Randy McMillan, if you're not following Randy McMillan on Twitter, you you need to because he does shit like this. He gives me jokes, and this one again is by Amanda Softstar. At a Softstar, I just sat on a cornflake. Guess that means I'm a serial killer. As usual, if you want to support the show, support me, support the work that I do, or at least that I try to do, um, you can, if you're stuck in the fiat world and you're just not ready to, to part with your sats, and you, but you will part with fiat, I have a Patreon. It's Bitcoin and. So just go to Patreon and look for Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. That is Bitcoin and podcast. I got five so far, which is honestly I'm, I'm okay. It's probably not impressive to you guys who already have Patreon accounts, but you got to start somewhere, right? I started with one and then I got four and now I got five and I'm grateful to every single one of you dudes. Honestly, it's, it's great. Um, also you can just use the breeze wallet and listen to the uh, podcast and stream me Satoshi's right through the wallet. And you're listening to the podcast right in the wallet it goes right to my lightning node, by the way. It doesn't get held by a custodial third party. So it's streaming right to the little Raspberry Pi node on my uh, on my computer over here on my right-hand side. Okay, so it's not exactly streaming to the Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry Pi is just the way that I access the Bitcoin and Lightning Network networks. So let's be real about that. Uh, Other than that, there's not a whole hell of a lot else going on. So fuck it. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.